Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by Reese, aka Referees, in what is going to be a very sad pod. It's a very raw pod. Um, you know, Reese and I didn't really put an outline together. I, I really was dreading an outline. I was dreading even going back to this game, Reese, but I had to in order to serve the fans here because even though Kansas City fans, our hearts are broken, we are still here to give you the content, whether we like it or not, whether we want to talk ill of Patrick Mahomes or not, whether we want to talk about Honey Badger leaving or not, we are here for you, Kansas City fans. But first, I have to be here for my friend, Refer Reese. Reese, are you are you doing okay over there, man? How's it going? Ugh, personal foul, unnecessary roughness on my emotion. Uh, a fifteen year penalty, man. That <laughs> that's, that's a rough pill to swallow, my friend. That game was, I don't. That was such a bizarre game, just because I don't think. I've ever watched a team look so good in one half and then just like flip the script in the second half. Like I've seen games where a team's not like team A's not playing well. And I'm like, man, if we don't really pull away, if we don't get seven here, you know, we could really collapse with the wrong thing happening in the fourth quarter. And then some collapses in the fourth quarter, but to like completely just outclass the Bengals for one half and then not have the Bengals do anything in the second half. Like they didn't turn it on or anything. We just like somehow blew that dude. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first loss in the Patrick Mahomes era where the chiefs were up 21 to three or up by as much as 18 points. This is the first time that a team has come back and beat Kansas City. We're we're not just talking postseason. We're talking ever, ever. This has never happened before. So it was an unfortunate sight to see. Reese, I was at a uh, a Chiefs bar in Colorado Springs. Oh. Haven't I've never gone before. It was so cool. Even Logan was like, "Oh man, this is awesome." I mean, when we got up twenty-one to three, everyone's already you know shots and having a good time and. And just as the game started to slip away, it 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 didn't seem like we were ever gonna lose. Really? Like even even yeah yeah no even in the middle even in the middle of the fourth quarter and even when Patrick Mahomes gets sacked a couple times in the fourth, I still didn't think we we're gonna lose. Uh, I think during that coin flip, I was like, we're not gonna lose. Um, it wasn't until the very, very, very last moment that I was like, oh my goodness. Because we were just spoiled, Reese. We were just spoiled with a 13-second miracle. By the way, Reese, this is not a hot take, but I'm just going to say it. I would have much rather have lost last week to the Bills in in just a Hall of Fame fashion, right? I wish that the Bills would have gotten the overtime coin toss and we would have lost. Yep. That is how bad this game was. I wish we would have never seen the AFC championship the way that it was laid out. I wish it would have just been done. We we would have said, you know what? Patrick Holmes gave it his all. Josh Allen was on on one. You know, Gabriel Davis looked amazing. We can be excited about next year with that said, right? We're bringing Honey Badger back. We're bringing, you know, all all the core group back on defense and offense. But now it's like 
Wait a minute. What? We just blew it to the Cincinnati Bengals. And yeah, whatever. We'll talk about Joe Burrow and like the weapons that they had. Nothing in that game showed me that Joe Burrow is is the next um, Michael Vick, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. Nothing in that game showed me that. I respect the Bengals for winning, but boy, do I respect the Bills a lot more. Uh, and uh, so much so that I wish we would have lost last week. I think that's a totally fair argument. I feel the same way. I, I much rather would have lost to a good team that went toe to toe with us for 15 rounds and they just got the ball last and beat us with 13 seconds. than I would have watching us melt down into what was like clearly an inferior opponent. Like I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so salty. I'm not giving any credit to this Bengals team, but it's just like I made that comment last week where it's like, how did you get here? It's like, I don't know. I literally just kept crawling with my head down and then I suddenly got here. Like, that's how Cincinnati's played this entire playoffs, you know, and, and yesterday, <laughs> yesterday was no different. And to to your credit, I still don't see it with Joe Burrow. This is a very mediocre box score, 23 or 38 for 250, two touchdowns, one interception. And the interception he threw was bad. I mean, bad. that was a, that, that showed his arm strength, which I think if teams get some more tape on plays like that, which there's plenty of, I think next year you see teams starting to exploit Joe Burrow in those regards. But more importantly, it's like I've asked this to a few people today that were anti-Chiefs fans or Cincinnati fans. And I said, can you point out three plays to me that Joe Burrow made yesterday that were like plays nobody else could do or were like impressive plays? And they were kind of like, yeah, do it. Honestly, no. And I mean, I'll spot him too. I said outside of those two third down scrambles, I was like third and eight, third and nine, where it's like, those weren't crazy impressive plays. Like those are rollouts and escapees you do if you're a decent quarterback, like Kirk Cousins, you know, he, he escapes from that situation, but Burrow didn't make any throws yesterday. He, he really didn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So people that are listening that are saying that we're salty, go back to the box score, right? Go back to their studs. Just like. Reese had said 250, two touchdowns within with interception. If we would have brought pressure and the pressure was effective, obviously this game is completely different. Joe Burrow not only has a 54 QBR rating, but it's it could be far worse if we actually got another sack on him, another pressure. It really wasn't that big of a difference what we saw with Joe Burrow and look at everyone else that was contributing as well Joe Mixon carried the ball 21 times okay if you're gonna say Joe Burrow is it you don't say that and Joe Mixon has to run the ball 21 times and it wasn't even affected 21 21 carries for 88 yards Mm -mm. which is what four four yards per yeah I mean actually our our defensive line looked good, but Joe Burrow was wasting clock whenever he could. Um, and he just got lucky breaks. We were punting it a lot. We'll talk about the offense in full depth uh, very, very soon. But just go back to the box score. Jamar Chase, nine targets, only six catches for 54 yards. Of course, T. Higgins has a game. Uh, but again, that was kind of the script is can the other guys beat us? And yes, T. Higgins kind of beat us. But when it mattered, T. Higgins had zero touchdowns. Rashad Fenn played fine. Traverius Ward played fine, right? No one really screwed it up in that respect. So this game was not because Joe Burrow is the man. This game is not because this offense is the uh, greatest show on turf junior. It's not even greatest show on turf the fifth. 
right? I don't want to hear the Bengals fans saying the Bengals are built different. This is Joe Burrow's season. We're going to talk about why it happened. This is solely on the Chiefs. This is solely on what I think. Maybe not solely, but a majority Chiefs offense. Oh, yeah. No, I'd say it's a, a combo of Chiefs offense and also the Chiefs defense. I don't care. They only allowed 24 points. Just straight up did not play well enough. The fact Tennessee got to them nine times last week. And this offense or this defensive line with two of the highest paid players in the NFL on it couldn't get to him. Uh, quick fact, I'm considering taking back my PBR apology from Chris Jones because a stat was brought to my attention that through 11 career playoff games, Chris Jones has zero, zero sacks. sacks. That's that's yeah. unacceptable for sack nation. Uh, but just just one last thing on Joe Burrow for now before I just, you know, quit beating that dead horse. Uh, you saw it in this game. Uh, there were three third and more than tens where. Uh, he went back to his bread and butter of just like throwing a outside the numbers jump ball to one of his receivers. He didn't connect on any of them. He overthrew all those jump balls. I mean, you, you take that out of his arsenal. The guy's incredibly pedestrian. So, you know, I, I'm sorry. I know there's a bunch of people that, you know, we're in group chat with that are big Joe Burrow, you know, fans and all that. But I, I still don't see it. I think he's a, he's a frustrating guy that, you know, is, is carried by, well, you said they're not the greatest show on turf. I think you can make an argument that wide receiver one through three on this team might be the best wide receiver one through three since the greatest show on turf. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of another team right now other than when Robert Woods gets healthy on the Rams, when it's Woods, Cup, OBJ, maybe they're better. But uh, mm. right now, currently, it's definitely... Uh, Chase Higgins Boyd yeah what, what's cup OBJ definitely has has argument for that as well but I mean you, you look back at the Rams that was what Tory Holt Azir Hakeem uh, Ricky Prohl Isaac Bruce Isaac Bruce mm-hmm. so you know it's uh all this to say I think the Cincinnati Bengals I think the NFL should pride themselves that the Cincinnati Bengals happened because we've always talked about the parody in this league and how it's so hard to make a dynasty in this sport compared to like, you know, baseball where you can buy talent, lock them in sure. for five, 10 years or basketball where, you know, you get two dudes like the Splash Brothers and it's like, guess what? Nobody else has talent to match these guns. But the the Bengals are the picture of the American dream that the NFL wants so badly where it's like you be trash for so long that you collect these top 10, top 15 lottery picks you have all this talent amassed around you, and then finally you swing and you hit on a quarterback of at least this level, and suddenly that circuit board lights up. You put that last chip in there. It's not it's not the best processor in the PC line, but something in there that lights up the circuit board, and suddenly all those like blue chip players that you've stunk for over the last 10 years make a cohesive team. Yeah, no, you, you bring up a really good point, and I'm going to go on a tangent a little bit, but it, it it makes a lot of sense. So point number one, you're correct. It's hard to have a dynasty in the NFL. Reese, just without knowing Tom Brady's, um, Tom Brady's history, 
you would say Tom Brady's Patriots were a dynasty while the, he was there, right? Yeah. Probably mm-hmm. the best dynasty. Okay. Tom Brady, for a whole decade, from one Super Bowl to the next, did not win a single Super Bowl. And that is considered a dynasty. Tom Brady is still considered the greatest of all time to a lot of people. So, yes, you have to understand uh, people that are that are putting Patrick Mahomes in the Aaron Rodgers formula of wins one, never going to win one again, or it's going to take a while. Patrick Mahomes is 26 years old, and we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes later, but just in this argument that Reese just made, dynasties are hard. Patrick Mahomes is 26 years old. He's still gone to four AFC championship games and two Super Bowl appearances before hitting the age of 27. I don't want to hear the Aaron Rodgers comments, and I also don't want to hear that there's never going to be a dynasty here when everyone is praising Tom Brady after not winning a Super Bowl for a decade. Now, point number two, Reese, back to your NBA analogy for point number two. You know, I was listening to a podcast with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan because I wanted to make this Rams 49ers game more interesting because I wasn't really interested in it. And it was great. I actually really enjoyed it. One thing that Kyle Shanahan said is, I wish the NFL would have a seven-game series like the (laughs) NBA. He was like, because you know what? Anybody can win at any point. Yes, the Bengals are not as good as the chiefs and not even close and i will debate anyone come on this podcast and we'll talk about it it is clear all they got to do is win one game all they have to do is win one half which is what they just did all you gotta do is win one half to then beat a very very good team so kyle shanahan was saying that it's ironic because the reason why kyle shanahan has had good teams is because he's a good coach and he schemes specifically for one game that's all you have to do you can have jimmy garoppolo on your team but you can still make two nfc championship uh, games and then one super bowl and sean mcveigh kind of the same way right sean mcveigh with jared goff and and i wouldn't say this rams team is elite they have a bunch of you know great players but as a unit they weren't steamrolling people the entire season but that's what makes young guys like that uh important i'm not talking about analytics i'm just saying these guys know it just takes one game and they're all cocky sobs so that also will help because they're really gutsy when it comes to those things all to say reese look it's one game is it the end of the world? Of course not. We still have Patrick Mahomes. We still have Travis Kelsey. We still have Tyree Kill. And we still have at least an amazing center, an amazing, and two amazing guards. All right, that's it. <laughs> as long as we have those three guys and then we have three Hall of Famers, like we're going to be fine. But look, yes, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. I know that's a stupid comparison, but I just gave you all the reasons why. No, I, I totally agree with you on all those, on all those points, to be honest. Uh, you know, it's... It's frustrating. I know it said, well, you know, you lost to him twice this year. It's like, yeah, but we lost to him in like two different ways. That first time, like I will die on this hill. It's like that absolutely was. It was literally proven the third worst officiated game of the year. Third and 27, the Jamar Chase, like sixth greatest receiving game of all time. All happened at the same point. That was different. This was we were crushing them and just like suddenly they like I said the Bengals didn't even like turn it on in the second half it's just you know Pat throws the final tip drill interception of the year you know deep in our own territory which I said was something that the Bengals would need to happen you know to win a game like this and lo and behold uh and then the fact that again the Bengals D didn't stop Mahomes like Mahomes stopped Mahomes. It's like he got the yips after he threw that bad p- 
pass at the end of the first half. And he suddenly reverted back to like week four through eight, nothing but hero ball tunnel vision Mahomes. That's what was so weird about it. Because in that first game against the Bengals in the second half, remember, we only had three possessions. It was like punt, field goal, like illegal contact that didn't get called that killed our drive. So we punted again. That's weird. And it's going to happen. And it's really going to happen when the Bengals keep getting their drives extended with six first down inducing penalties. But this go around, I mean, you, you've probably seen the stills. There were plays where like Hardman, McKinnon, even Kelsey were just like wide open. I don't know what Pat was looking for. If he had, you know, tunnel vision in the second half or what it was, but he just was completely different than he was in the first half. And the Bengals coach even said they didn't change what they were doing from the first half. Mahomes just suddenly decided to go hero ball on us. Yeah, I'm. Um, that's interesting that you brought that up, that they said that they didn't make any adjustments or they didn't change anything on defense. Uh, it Maybe they didn't change the scheme, but it was pretty clear that they were only rushing three or four at a time there was no blitzes and they were dropping back um i have some stats to kind of back that up and again not to not to say that this is a genius defensive scheme but it's something that pat just didn't adjust to and that pat you know i i think this might answer the question but let's look at some stats and then i'll i'll give my take so according to next gen stats the Bengals almost doubled their usage of dropping eight defenders in coverage um, sorry. Yeah. Nearly doubled it. So in the first half, it was 24% of passes. They were dropping back eight in the second half. It was 45% of pass plays that they were dropping back. We'll talk about the running later. Let's just focus on Patrick Mahomes, but, uh, Patrick Mahomes QBR. Then the first half was 98, right? Just he's on one. He's feeling it second half to overtime. Have you seen this QBR rating? Reese? Yeah. Just don't remind me. <laughs> I am cover your ears. Negative 1.4 QBR. <sighs> it's the largest gap in a player's QBR by half in the playoffs since it was tracked in 2006, which is wild. So basically what happened, what I think that happened was the Bengals were dropping eight forcing Mahomes to either QB sneak, to run, to throw something in the slant, to throw something in the flat, and he didn't. He didn't. And it's almost as if, like you said in the beginning of the year, Patrick Mahomes was trying to play hero ball for the first five weeks. He would try to extend the play, he would find the deep shot, and he would make it. I think the successes that he had in the first half blinded him in the second half. He wasn't afraid of their dropbacks. Clearly was not afraid of the dropbacks because he held the ball for so freaking long in the fourth quarter. He had, I forget how many seconds before he got sacked by Sam Hubbard, uh, cousin of my friend Ed Hubbard, uh, unfortunately. That's kind of, we'll talk about that later probably. But Patrick Mahomes had so much time and did not seem afraid of this defense that dropped back and played this prevent defense. What could have easily have been a Jared McKinnon flat, a Cole, uh, a Cole, a McCole Hardman, Debo Samuel-like sweep or flat play. Um, we didn't see any of that. We saw Patrick Mahomes trying to extend the play and our O-line was gassed. The O-line started to go, oh no, here we go. I mean, I've never seen Creed Humphrey gassed. And I saw a couple plays toward the end of the fourth quarter. I was like, 
Oh my goodness. I was like, Pat's just extending the play, and everyone's like, I don't know how long we well, can take this anymore. And what's really weird about that, and you didn't see us in the first half, or all playoffs for that matter, is that Pat has not been afraid to roll out and scramble and take like five, six yards, and there were plenty of opportunities in that second half where you know he does that thing where he'll, he'll do a yep. spin move, kind of juke one way, cut back the other, and then like start running. But man, in the second half, I don't know what got into him, but suddenly it's like, it's it's like you were playing mad and you're like okay here's the rules you can't you know scramble with your qb and that's how he was playing there were multiple times in scramble tv i'm like you have six yards take it take it take it but man he just wanted to sit back there i think he got the taste in his mouth when he waited in the first half and threw that nice little like lob touchdown pass i think he's like i could do that again it's like dude don't please don't do it just run pat just run and same yep. thing goes for our running back core. It's like, again, Jarek McKinnon was eating. He finished that game with 12 carries for 65 yards for a five and a half yard average, which felt like five and a half yards per carry. Clyde was even showing up six for 36. And again, for kind of like he was getting three, four yards per carry as well. I, I can't fathom why we abandoned the run altogether in the second half. And I think more than anything, that's what did us in. I really do. Yeah, this is a perfect segue into my second stat. Um, the Chiefs only ran the ball nine times in the second half. And let me explain what those nine times were. First one, gain of six yards. Second one, gain of four yards. Third one, the Hardman sweep, nine yards. Next one, four, seven, four. One stop, that was only one yard. The next one, nine yards again by McCole Hardman. And the last one, 14-yard oh run the run was working we only did it nine times what's the average there reese i can't do math right now but that's yeah. got to be seven yards nothing nothing showed you other than one play that they could stop the run nine attempts with 58 mm -hmm. rushing yards the only unsuccessful run was that one on second and two and it was the second and two and that's why i'm saying so much here that like we blew this game like the Bengals didn't win we absolutely blew this game because if we would have just stuck to the same game plan in the first half, it's like, I think we put up another, let's let's be generous and say another 14 points if we stick to the first half game plan. And that's what's been most frustrating about the Chiefs post-Kareem Hunt is what you saw against the Bills and in the first half of the Bengals is the best the offense has looked since he's left because it's the most balanced the offense has been since Kareem Hunt left. I don't think Jarek McKinnon is a long-term answer given his size and given his age, but he's brought a more balanced attack and like had to keep yeah. teams honest. You can't just stack the box, you know, and expect us to run into you. You can't just drop eight <laughs> unless you're the Bengals and expect us to stop running altogether because when they were dropping eight, we were still gashing them. You know, they, it, the defense for the Bengals didn't bear down by any stretch. Like you said, nope. the O the O line got tired. Pat was back there for seven or eight seconds, which eventually someone's going to track you down unless you scramble my friend. It's, oh man, this this one just sucks, dude. This one just yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah. So one so one thing. Okay. So today, all of these. You know, yesterday I was just in total shock. Yesterday, total shock. I couldn't break down film. I couldn't even read anything about what had happened, and no one could. Right? I was I was all over Twitter, all over the internet, trying to figure out what people are saying, and 
every single person that I respect when it comes to the Chiefs analysis couldn't think of anything at that point. Everyone was just so shell-shocked. Today, then we start hearing about, you know, the running possessions and we talk about other things. One thing that did stick out yesterday, though, Reese, that really pisses me off, and I know it's going to piss you off. We talked about this already. In overtime, the first two scripted plays are to Demarcus Robinson. When you have... Actually, in fact, Travis Kelsey was not even on the field for one of those plays it was Blake Bell at that point so you run two scripted plays you have the fastest wide receiver in NFL history and you have arguably the best tight end in NFL history and you script two plays to Demarcus Robinson it wasn't like Pat was scrambling and trying to hit someone like it was immediately out of the snap he was like "Ooh, Demarcus when before that he has two targets guess how many targets he had the whole game three total he had he had one. He had one before the overtime. Wow. And then whoever it was, EB, Andy Reid, or maybe it was Pat going rogue, someone decides that we hit the hot hand, or should I say cold hand, of Demarcus Robinson. That was blatant. That I think that is the one thing when I left the bar that shocked me the most, Reese. Overtime, two scripted throws to Marcus Robinson. I agree. And again, that's why we lost, you know, more than the Bengals won. Uh, I don't know how you come out in overtime after you're gifted a second coin toss in a row. And the first, the best two plays you can come up with is something to Demarcus to Robinson. And they weren't even like well scripted. It wasn't like it was nope, a misdirection was like a play. Yeah. <laughs> One was like a fade to the flats to Demarcus Robinson. When has that man ever had like any sort of vertical receiving Burst. skills? Oh, it's, I mean, even if they had like run something to Hardman and I'm like, oh, I get it. You're trying to get him in space or something like that. I, I understand it. And, but, and, oh. and Hardman was having an amazing day. Like his, his two Debo Samuel, you know, nine rushing yards a piece. And then obviously that, that big one-on-one, like, yeah, do it to him. Yeah. I, you know, I think what you saw in this game, I think the reason why the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl is I think it just shows how flawed every good team in the AFC was this year, except for the Bengals. Uh, they, the, the Bengals aren't really good at anything other than having like those three wide receivers, but like yeah. they're not bad at anything, you know, it's like right. that O line's not good, but it's not like crip. It's not like the chiefs in the super bowl bad. It's just, they, they need right. more talent in the O line. But, like, you look at the Chargers. The Chargers had a really bad defense, and that came back to bite them. You look at the Titans. The Titans had no offense in Ryan Tannehill. You look at us. We weren't able to play a cohesive game of football, spare maybe the Bills game last week. You know, our offense and our defense were never on the same week. I can go on through all these AFC teams except for the Bengals. And it's so funny because it's like, Maybe one of the later Alex Smith led teams actually could have made the Super Bowl this year just because like there wasn't anything wrong with them. Oh, sure. I mean, in this game, the Bengals never had to step up and make a big play and they never made a big play. Just like Alex Smith and those Chiefs teams never were able to step up and make big plays. Maybe this was just the year where being like the 93 Toyota Camry was the way to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we definitely see moments in history like this. We talked about Nick Foles. We talked about Joe Flacco. Uh, but more so this year, you're right. 
you know, we see a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo who hot take, I think is going to be the first person off the board in free agency. Even though he played awful, he is the type of person that's someone that can't afford an Aaron Rodgers that can't afford um, uh, Russell Wilson can go to the Super Bowl, can go to a playoffs with a game manager like that. And yes, Joe Burrow has the arm strength sometimes to make a play that is above game manager. But right now in his second year, he's a game manager. He's just a really good game manager. He'll make a couple mistakes, but nothing that's going to kill you like some of these other quarterbacks that are not like Jameis Winston. uh, Hot take, hot take. Jameis Winston is more talented than Joe Burrow. I'm saying it right now. Jameis Winston has a a way better arm than Joe Burrow, but Jameis Winston is one of the worst game managers in the NFL. Talented, skilled, can throw the deep ball. Um, He has, he checks off all the boxes for me, for me. He's just not a good game manager. So you have someone like Joe Burrow. You have someone like Ryan Tannehill. You have someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. And you have someone like Matt Stafford, who I wouldn't say is a good, he's still He's very skilled. Very skilled. I love Matthew Stafford, actually. But Matt Stafford's not Aaron Rodgers. Matt Stafford's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. He's not the type of guy that's going to roll out and make an amazing play, right? We're talking these guys are doing things that other guys in the league can't do. Um, so you kind of have this like game manager 2.0 and Matthew Stafford, and that's what the Super Bowl looks like. And that's what the playoffs look like. So that's what the NFL is. There's, and this is another reason Kansas city fans not to be like too sad about what is happening because Patrick Mahomes is elite. Again, I can only name uh, a few people that can make the, like, make the, what the hell just happened place. And that's Aaron Rodgers, That's Patrick Mahomes. That's Josh Allen sometimes Justin Herbert but again Justin Herbert's not a good game manager so it's really just those three so still be happy Kansas City fans but that's just the NFL that's the NFL there's not a lot of elite quarterbacks there's good quarterbacks that are good game managers yeah and you know Patrick Mahomes is able to cover up a lot of deficiencies in your team as we've seen honestly during his entire tenure here uh this year in particular I want to point out the fact that I know we were in the AFC title game and we could have won the Super Bowl this year. I, I really liked our chances oh, against absolutely. either of those NFC teams. But any any team that was left, I, the only team I was worried about, Reese, was the Chargers. Oh, dude, I was, yeah. <laughs> that I didn't was wanna... the only team that I was worried about. Yeah, I was worried about the Chargers. And obviously, you know, like you don't want to play the Bills. You want the path of least resistance. But, you know, th- this team was entirely based on house money in the sense of, there was never any cohesion, and they only made it as far as they did purely based on talent and, like, the skill of Patrick Mahomes. This year, when Mahomes played well, the team did well. This year, when Mahomes didn't play well, the team didn't play well. And, you know, we haven't touched on this yet, and I think we'll probably talk more about this later, but I, I think we really got to talk about getting rid of, rid of spags for a multitude yep. of reasons. And we can save us for the second half of the podcast if we want, but like, yep. Yep. Even at our best, uh, the, the defense never looked good. The fact that, like I said, sack nation couldn't get any sack or they got one sack in this game from Melvin Ingram, you know, offense. It was only just two weeks ago that we thought we maybe figured out the roles for everybody, but it's, it's too late in the season for that to really, sink roots in and become effective i think we have something to base going into next season particularly the debo samuel mccall hardman role the jarek mckinnon screen pass role 
the the Jeremy Kidden band aid roll. Yeah, basically. I mean, well, absolutely. And <laughs> or, that, or, or what is it called that that a uh, flex seal? Flex Jeremy seal is, our, is the flex seal of the running backs right now because we can get away with it right now. Oh, oh, basic, <laughs> before it starts leaking. <laughs> basically, uh, and you know that's why I'm saying we really got to find a big body wide receiver too in this draft because there were at least two passes yesterday that Joe Mixon came down with. That I'm like, wow, what a bad throw, but man, that's a huge dude. I mean, yep. he threw yep. him like he threw him like up in the air behind him, but Mixon's just like so long and lean, he can go up and get it. Like I said, jump balls. Uh, but all this to say, this was even how do I put this? I feel bad saying this. Even if we'd won the Super Bowl this year, I'd kind of be like, we weren't the best team. You know, this this isn't this wasn't a Super Bowl team. If we'd won the Super Bowl. We did it purely based on like talent, getting some breaks and kind of in spite of ourselves. No, I think the, the 20, 2019, 2020 chiefs that did win the super bowl. Yeah, they were, they were the best team in the NFL that year. Last year, I think if our line hadn't been decimated for all their faults, I think you could say, yeah, that was the best team in the NFL last year. This year, no, we were not the best team in the NFL, but I don't think there were many teams that could say they were much better than us, to be honest. I don't think really anybody deserved it this year. Yeah, I think, uh, unfortunately, in, well, let's put a button and then we'll we'll have a beer. But unfortunately, you're right. This was, this was definitely the year for us to win because who else other than us? But at the same time, this is not the final product and not the best Chiefs we've ever seen. In fact, um, I would say maybe only the Steelers game was the first time that I saw the Chiefs defense and Chiefs offense rolling on all cylinders. Every other time, unless it was a crappy team, uh, we were never rolling on all cylinders. So you're right. Uh, I have a very hot take that is similar to what you just said, but I will wait for the second half, Reese. Shall we bury this game, have a beer, and talk about the offseason? Yeah, dude. Let's put some tears in my glass. Let's go, baby. All right. We are officially burying this game. We are not going to talk about kansas city chiefs Bengals no longer we are looking forward to the off season although stay tuned ladies and gentlemen for the next two weeks uh reese and i are still pretty knowledgeable about football and would love to dog on joe burrow for the next two weeks so we will be talking about the super bowl preview in next week's pod and then we'll be doing a, a super bowl reaction pod we might bring on some friends during that time so stay tuned ladies and gentlemen it's going to be a great time but for now Let's put this away. Let's add some salt to the beer I'm about to review because that's what's going to be coming out of my eyes right now. Um, but I'm glad we stopped talking about this. Thanks for sticking with us, though, Kansas City fans. Uh, thanks for sticking through this pot. I know that's probably not very fun. But uh, just like we were shocked, I'm sure you were shocked. So I hope this was informative. But now I'm done talking about it. Time to drink. gentlemen we are back we have buried the past we are ready for the now and then after this we will talk about the bright future but before we do all that reese is going to do a social media shout out followed by this week in craft beer here we go reese yeah so if you want to find us on instagram or facebook you can find us at fountain city sm underscore 
Or if you want to find us on Patreon to become a patron, check out patreon.com backslash FCSM to get access to bonus episodes and exclusive beer reviews. All right. And then, uh, so Reese, so for those of you following at home, maybe, maybe you're just like an awful, uh, uh, Chiefs fan and you just started watching our podcast after the loss and you just wanted to feel bad about yourself. So maybe we got some new people in here. I don't know, Reese. Um, so what we do in between, we do this week in craft beer. Uh, Reese works for Boulevard Brewing. I used to work in the in the craft beer industry and a huge craft beer lover. So we like to talk about what's happening in the industry because it's, it's evolving so much and we keep you posted. And then after that, we're going to review a beer. So Reese... What is happening in the world of craft beer today? Well, knock, knock. Who's there? It's the continuing story of the supply chain and cans and all the other things that are just bearing down on the beer industry right now. Uh, Unfortunately, the only thing that's consistent is Joe Burrow right now seems to be the consistency of the craft beer industry being hit with more and more little things. As we've talked about, there is a huge can supply shortage that is affecting every craft brewery. I mean, I I can't think of anyone who's going to be exempt and not feeling the hit of the five truckload, one million can rule. But now on top of that, there are being more forecasts coming out to project the rising costs of craft beer as a whole. I know you and I have talked about this in the past where it's like even one friend of the podcast, Kyle Neg, used to live in Kansas City and would get a six pack of Kona Big Wave. That was the best bargain on the planet because like a six pack of that was like six fifty or seven bucks. You know, it's like, well, do I want a six pack of Budweiser for like five fifty six bucks or do I want this for six fifty seven? It's like the, the choice is obvious. But even in that time pre-COVID, the cost of a Kona Big Wave six pack's gone up to be like eight fifty nine bucks to be kind of more in par with like regular craft beer. All of this to say, aluminum costs have risen five percent this year, and malt rose ten cents a pound after a poor harvest caused by limited supplies and shipping costs also increasing. Now, when you think about it, ten cents a pound doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but when you consider how much malt goes into beer it's one of the reinheitsgebot ingredients for a reason guys you can't skip malt in a beer nice so when you consider all those pounds i don't even know how many pounds of malt go into a typical brew i don't have that knowledge but 10 cents over time for every single product you have and there's no way to skip it out that's not good so essentially they this article states that craft beer prices have increased two to three percent every year but it is impossible at this current moment to forecast what that rate is going to be this year but the outlook is not good rut row so all all to say that bud light just went from five bucks to 40 oh my well i mean we joke but i think i don't know what are your thoughts on this uh i just uh answer i just googled your question though about the malt so typically in like just a regular lager 8.5 pounds of a malt goes into five gallons of uh beer oh yeah so that's a lot that's a lot of pounds when you add all that up with the barrel systems i forget what barrel system you guys have uh um, or what tanks you guys have let me think brew house one our original set john mcdonald started on was a 30 barrel system Let's see, in a regular barrel unit, um, so we're talking, what is that, uh, 3.78 liters, mm-hmm. 42, shoot, 3, 2, 1, 42 gallons of beer 
are in one typical barrel unit. So if you do that math, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so with the up-to-date system we have at Boulevard, that's Brewhouse 2 being the one they installed in the late 2000s, we do approximately 240,000 brewer's barrels a year. Wow. So I don't want to do all that math for what, how many pounds goes into that and how many <laughs> gallons that is and all the 10 cents per pound increases you're doing on there. However, I know That's who does do that math at the brewery and they're a freaking genius slash slash. I would love to see them go head to head with friend of the podcast, Sam Holly in an Excel spreadsheet like decathlon because man, dude, people that can work <laughs> Excel are like the data versions of wizards from Harry Potter. I kid you not. It's incredible. All this to say, uh, I think we've seen it mentioned a lot that seltzers, you know, they're big. But what's one thing you can get away with in seltzers is not having to use malt. Seltzers right. are essentially sugar water and brewer's yeast, you know, and they eat the sugars, poop out alcohol. You get 5% sparkly sugar water. So... This might be even more credence, and you might even see more breweries kind of going the seltzer route now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I hope they don't. <laughs> I hope they don't. I hope they just come out with small batch beers and go ahead and hike the price up. I'll wait in line for a really good beer. That's fine for me. Um, please don't infiltrate the beer industry with seltzers. Armando is not a fan of them seltzers. You've heard it. He just says they can't do what beers can do, so why brew what you can't brew? And with that, I will be reviewing uh, Truly's new flavor, Raspberry Seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Armando, it is your turn again to review a delicious craft beer for us on This Week in Craft Beer, so what will you be reviewing for us today? Yeah, I forgot why Logan gave me this. She gave it to me as a gift. She just gives me gifts all the time. She's the best. Um, but she surprised me and found a four-pack of what I'm going to re review right now, which is Westbound and Down, How the West Was Won, which is a single hop West Coast IPA featuring Strata Hops. Ooh, that sounds. I mean, interesting. this is this is a Reese title right here. Like, like if Reese was making titles for beer companies, um, he would make this title. Westbound down. <laughs> no, no. How the West was won. Oh, because sorry. it's a because it's a one hop single. Oh, uh, oh, it's a oh, West Coast e. single IPA. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's a good title. That's a good title. I'm, I'm gonna hire that guy. He good. Anyway, a single hop IPA sounds really tasty because, I mean, nowadays you have such a bouquet of hops and beers that it's almost becoming, like, difficult to decipher what you're tasting. And that's one yep, thing exactly. that's made pseudo soup from Top and Glide so popular is it's not an IPA. It's just a regular pale ale, but it's a single hop pale ale. Right, right. It's delicious. Anyway, for those of you playing at home, we do review our beers a little bit differently on the show. We have five categories, those being aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel and aftertaste after every category armando is going to rate that a one to ten one being repug and ten being renaissance good uh sorry i had to think of something that i could roll my r for uh so armando is pouring that beer in a glass so without further ado armando why don't we start with category one being the aroma all right, here we go. Just pour into a nice IPA glass right here. 
Mmm, yummy. Uh, yeah, this is super sweet. A lot of apricot, um, even some candied peach as well. That's actually really nice. Um, one more smell if I get anything else. And actually the standard grapefruit as well. So Strata Hop, I don't know if I've had in a, just a straight up West Coast. I've had it a lot in New England style beers. Mm -hmm. um, so Strata I associate with that sweet tasting, sweet flavor. Uh, sometimes super dank as well, so it makes sense it's in West Coast, but I don't think I've ever had it in a West Coast, so yeah, fun to try, smells great. How about a 9.2? Ooh, 9.2, off to a good start on that aroma. Now, appearance. You know, one thing I've never really inquired on with some of my more well-versed brewing friends is do different hops add a different color to beer to the same degree they add a different aroma to beer? So with this being a strata bomb, what does this beer look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's more so the amount of hops as opposed to the actual hop. Although I've never had a Nelson single IPA. And since Nelson is probably the most flavorful hop I've ever had, I wonder whether it would be more cloudy even if it was in a West Coast. Mm -hmm. But as you can see right here, uh, this beer is super transparent, super clear. You're getting a nice golden color that you would typically get. Uh, it's very light color. Um, there is no darkness to that. Yeah. Um, great head retention, though, um, on this IPA. Great carb, it looks like. There's a lot of bubbles rising from the glass pretty quickly. Um, so it looks really good for the style. How about just a solid nine? Ooh, a solid nine. So we've had two nines right yeah. off the board to start this off. This is... This is pretty and, good. Uh, I, I will say, I know a lot of you on the pods, like, you know, Armando always does these, you know, he rates all these beers really high. I really take my time to pick some good beers for you all on this podcast. Uh, for all you know, West, Westbound and Down is from a small mountain town. I know Springs. I just reviewed, I think, just the single, I, or what did I do, though? It was just called Westbound IPA, which had a plethora of hops in it. But uh, Westbound was rated the best uh, mid-sized brew pub of the year in 2019 at GABF. So, I mean, they're putting out a really great product and honestly, I think one of the best craft beer breweries, uh, especially mid, especially mid-sized in Colorado. So yeah, this is a great beer. I'm happy uh, to be doing it for y'all. Dude, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing these little hidden gems with us. So moving on to category three then, flavor. What does this Stratavarius taste like? And, and just so like people don't think I'm like always doing nines tomorrow, I'm going to review a Miller Lite. <laughs> what was the one Kyle reviewed that one time? It was like, it wasn't Grain Belt. It was like... Shinerbach. <laughs> no, it was it was way worse than Shinerbach. It was like Lone Star or like... Oh, Lone Star. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have to... We should, we should go back to our... <laughs> we should go back to that episode and just post that beer review as a single episode. Oh and like, my don't even put anything. Just say Kyle's beer review. <laughs> I'm, almost th I'm almost thinking like... We need to like in, in penance review nothing but like crappy domestics in the podcast for like the next three weeks like, <laughs> yeah yeah i like that <laughs> today i will be reviewing bud platinum <laughs> you know what true story when i was i won't say how old i was but at a certain point me and my cousins crushed bud light platinums because it was bud light taste 7.5 percent remember when 7.5 percent seemed like a crazy high amount for beer it's like that's, that's not a real number <laughs> Although in my uh, in my college days, hitting a Bud Light Platinum, that, yeah, 
that that hit different <laughs> uh, anyway taste uh yeah great taste on this one immediately you get a lot of sweetness you get that apricot that i had smelled um you also get some melon like almost like cantaloupe flavor and then you also have a really nice dankness to this as well i mean it's 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 pretty pretty dank which it's typical for strata anyway but because it's in the west coast style um you're gonna get a lot of that bitterness a lot of that uh pineness that i'm getting right now a uh, really good blend of flavors you all know i'm not a big piney guy uh but i do appreciate it for the style pretty solid 8.6 all right 8.6 for that nice piney strata flavor now, moving on to category number four, mouthfeel. Being a single hopped IPA, does that really affect the mouthfeel a whole bunch to you, or is that just kind of like another day in the park? No, yeah, definitely. Oh, um, you mean in comparison, like a single hop versus just a regular West Coast? Yeah, versus, you know, like a, a multi-hopped, oh, we got Strata, Equinox, Galaxy, and... Uh, chinook in here i don't know why chinook's in there but <laughs> it is here? get out of here <laughs> just like joe burrow i'm just i'm just trying to manage this beer okay i'm just trying to manage it <laughs> sorry i had to bring that up uh no i i can't really taste a difference between uh the single hop versus any you know a plethora of hops it is light in flavor it is light in the balance though um, very light mouthfeel, kind of carby, although the carbiness is um, juxtaposed to that dankness and actually kind of synonymous with the dankness now that I think of it for my taste buds, at least um, like something that's crispy and something that's that's dank kind of has a similar texture to me, uh, but it's solid. Very good. How about a straight up uh, eight? All right. Eight on mouthfeel is always a good score for that. Then category number five, aftertaste. Now that you're having the true unfiltered, well, technically filtered, Chin uh, Chinook. Oh, my goodness. It's in my head now. <laughs> the pure unfiltered Strata experience. What is the aftertaste like on that Strata heavy IPA? Uh, okay, here's okay. Here's here's where I'll be controversial for the fans. You know, not not the best aftertaste, unfortunately. Okay. Um, it, and and this is personal preference. It's a very well-made beer. Nothing against Westbound and Down. I will gladly go to Westbound and Down every day of my life if I could. Uh, but now, aftertaste, pure pure dankness, pure bitterness, pure uh, pininess. There is there is no sweetness. There is no remnants of that apricot, that peach, that melon, that cantaloupe. All of it's gone when it's down there. Um, I feel like I have a thick coat in the back of my tongue right now that I have to get out after a couple sips of that oh, wow. and that could be because it is single hop so again strata is super potent i mean i've never smelt the hop on its own but i i bet you what is it uh what's the saying dollars to donuts heck yeah dollars to donuts i, I bet you dollars to donuts if, if we just smelt the hop i bet it's incredibly bitter and the smell as well um so yeah so not my personal preference i know people love that in beer i know people love that bite um i just wish there would have been more of that sweetness on the aftertaste so how about a 6.3 interesting okay 6.3 on the aftertaste then category number six bdq which in this case stands for by quotiented hops definitely not <laughs> I was hoping you were going to do a burrow thing with B. Oh, burrow, quick. Don't do anything crazy. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, basically. That was in a stupid, nutshell. but that worked. That worked. <laughs> well, I definitely won't compare this to Burrow because I'm done talking about Joe Burrow for the time being. Um, but again, a really great beer, a really great brewery. Like I said, the best mid-sized brewery in 2019, right before the pandemic. So basically, it's it's still the best mid-sized brewery today in 2022. Um yeah, so a really great brewery, really great beer. I actually enjoy that I had this single hop strata. I think they do other series of this as well, so I'd be curious to see what other experimental hops. Because strata was only named a hop a year and a half ago. I think when I was working at the brewery in 2020, it had just been named. It was still experimental ABC or whatever. Yeah. Um, so really cool that they've that they've experimented with that strata. They've figured a way to do a single hop West Coast style of it. Um, again, a great beer, pretty easy drinking, about 6.8. If you love the dankness of a beer, this is something that you would definitely love. I've been to this brewery as well. They have a really great tap room, really great feel, and a very affordable uh, mountain town. So BDQ on this guy, you know what? Pretty good. 9.1. That's what the BDQ is all about. There were a lot of factors taken into account through that go, not just in what's in your glass, but like what's in the world, man? What's yeah. In the oh my gosh. Like if, if you, like I can just imagine you and I maybe bring the, 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 uh, the wives and they can go, you know, go on a mountain hike. Yeah. Noel seems like a, like a like a like a nature person she is right oh yeah she, she loves nature yeah she, she would have been a marine biologist if she didn't try getting into singing and then ruin really? her life by marrying me yeah <laughs> i had no idea yep yeah she she loves the whales i gotta take her out to seattle so she can see the whales someday oh you're kidding mm -hmm. oh well then we definitely have to do a double date somewhere to go watch whales that sounds cool double anyway date. i can just i can just see us all like going on a hike and then we're all like man we're parched what can we do westbound and down oh. i mean it's just like it's just a really great feel see hanging out with the buds there so yeah great shout out westbound down shout out westbound down hey uh very one last very thing this we can craft here before i screw this up uh Let's so you know how i choked and i couldn't tell you what the brewer barrel system was for brew house one at boulevard the og system uh -huh. that's because what's it called when you have like a number in math and then like you can expand it into like what makes the number like factors and denominations and all that oh i couldn't tell you so i butted heads with my synapses because i knew the brewer's barrel system and i wanted to say it but at the same time i was saying no but how many barrels can you brew a year on that system where the answer is it is a 35 brewer's barrel system but back at its apex we were going like above what even the maximum amount you can brew on a 35 brewer's barrel system is a year we were doing like over sixty thousand brewer's barrels on a 35 brewer barrel system that's where the conflagration in my head was coming so kansas city fans we only give you that big brain knowledge here we yeah. got our, our brains are so big that there's just too much info in there and reese Reese just laid it all out for us. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for the end of this podcast. We will talk about the future of the Chiefs, and we are hoping it's a bright one. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. I'm still crushing a lovely How the West Was Won. Uh, O-N-E, not W-O-N. 
pretty, pretty tight. Um, while I do that, I'm going to let Reese have the floor for this next segment. And you can all play along at home. Send us an um, Instagram message, a Twitter message, anything. Let us know what you would do if you were Brett Veach. And I'm not saying Brett Veach in the sense that Brett is in a conference room with, a, with his trusty people um, two weeks after the game. Reese, I want you to put yourself in Brett Veach's shoes watching the end of this game and his immediate thoughts immediately after this game. Who's out of this team? Who are you firing and who are you extending after this game? The floor is yours. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Uh, I'm going to start with the coaching personnel. And if I'm Brett Veach, you know, he seems to be a little less go with the flow than Andy does. He seems to be a little bit more result oriented. He seems to be a bit more of a gambler. And I honestly hope that that gamble, the answer is not resigning Steve Spagnuolo as defensive coordinator. Uh, the only way I would ever potentially humor the concept of him coming back is if we don't resign Dan Sorensen or Ben Neiman, who were the single biggest foundational issue in this defense and what is continually holding this defense back. But at the same time, it is also on Steve Spagnuolo to not keep rolling those guys out in our third down dime package. It's, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. That's what cost us the game on defense yesterday. Uh, like you said, our secondary did a pretty good job keeping those weapons they had in check and coverage, but particularly in those plays when our D line couldn't quite take Burrow down, it's then the job of those linebackers to zone in on the quarterback and stop them. And you saw, dude, Joe Burrow outran. I can't even remember who it was, Sorensen or Neiman. It was one of the two on that big third down and nine. It's just like, dude, the, neither of them are as fast as Willie Gay or maybe even Nick Bolton. I, I can't fathom why you would put your two least athletic players out there in coverage situations. So that is on them for being probably two of the worst NFL level players I've ever seen that get snaps outside of special teams. And uh, a big part of that as well is Steve Spagnuolo for continually rolling those guys out on third down. All I have to say is uh, I guess Zane Anderson's the only one that needs to get fired and that's it. Wait, what? I'm just kidding. Oh, gonna, <laughs> you had me there for a second. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, first of all, Zane Anderson needs to be cut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no, I totally agree with you. The reason why I brought it up in that sense where I don't want Brett Veach to go back, crunch the numbers. I just want gut reaction and gut reaction is for hot take Mondo. This may be the hottest take of all. I'm glad we lost and I'm glad we didn't win the Super Bowl. Really? I'm glad because if we would have won this year, Spagnolo is there to stay. And eventually, the only reason why Spags leaves is because of an epic fail like today. And I would rather see the epic fail today than in 2025 or 2026 when he's already built whatever he's built or, you know, Dirty Dan has taken up space and not letting the rookies get playing time. To me, this is the perfect time to fire Steve Spagnolo. This is the perfect time because now we can rebuild with a young Patrick Mahomes. And it's not even a huge rebuild, right? We're not talking, you know, get rid of everyone. We're talking about people that are important on this team, 
but something something that can be easily filled and not going to change the identity and the integrity of this defense. I'm not calling for the head of Chris Jones or, you know, Trivarius Ward, Rashad Fenton, Juan Thornhill, all these guys. Great, you know, great promise. A lot of young players that are really good, right? Sneed, we didn't even talk about. Sneed had a hell of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, all promising players. So, but the head of the snake has to go, and that is Steve Spagnolo. Not only because of this game, but because of everything that we've seen this year and everything that Reese just talked about, is that he still finds excuses to put quote unquote his boys on the field neglecting what Reese and I have been talking about since the beginning of training camp we've been talking about the reason why the Chiefs will not succeed is because of the lack of athleticism that they have or not letting their athletic players play and we saw that right um, I know Willie Gay is going through some things, but we could have seen more of him. We could have seen more of Bolton. We saw too much Hitchens. We saw too much Dirty Dan, too much Neiman. We'll get to Honey Badger right now, but I think the head of the snake, it's got to go. And this is, there is no better time. I'm going to extend this hot take. Vic Fangio's not getting a head coaching job. He's going to be out there looking for a DC job. Todd Bowles, from what we're seeing, unfortunately for Todd Bowles, because I think he's great, but Todd Bowles is not getting a head coaching job right now in this next cycle, right? We're seeing uh, Jim Harbaugh just just made a finalist for 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 the Vikings. There you go. <laughs> mean, meanwhile, Todd Bowles is still trying to find a job. We got some great defensive quarter. Even uh, hot take, hot take. Mike Zimmer's out there. Mike Zimmer, I don't mind as defensive coordinator over Spagnolo. Um, so there, there, there's a lot of guys out there that can easily fill in, you know, guys that might want a head coaching job at some point and are really good defensive minds. And no better time than now. Let's chop off the head of the snake. Well, there's two more things I want to add on here, too. So it's not just, oh, Neiman Sorensen bad. But there's two glaring issues on defense that have been issues in the last three years that have not been rectified. Number one, there's so much talent in our defensive front to not just be like a sack heavy team. Again, th- I mean, this year you basically maxed out that defensive line for you're going to get the fact you had Jer- uh, Jaron Reed, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Melvin Ingram. It's like, dude, th- th- there's not many front fours, at least on paper that have more talent than that. Number two, which has been a huge issue and this goes along with Sorensen and Neiman to a degree, but our tackling has been atrocious. And I, you're a defensive coordinator. How are you not preaching tackling first, tackling last, tackling always? The reason the Rams-Niners game was as close as it was yesterday is because nobody was missing tackles. Like, you hit them, you wrap them up, they go down. No more of these dumb arm tackles. No more of just, like, kind of hitting a dude, you know, like turning your shoulder and hitting a dude. No, dude, tie them up. Wrap them up and don't just like kind of grab them if you're the defensive line. You have to bring them down with every fiber of your being. And our tackling the last three years has been so subpar. It looks like Tiger Woods at the Masters circa 2005. <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally agree with you there, Reese. So refer Veach and Hot Tag Veach both agree. Spag's got to go. Now let's talk about the cut. So we can continue on your your argument saying that about tackling. Um, other than okay, we both also agree Neiman and Sor- Sorensen 
should, if they're not off the team, are getting 10% snaps during the year, right? Maybe Sorensen is a is a locker room guy. Fine, fine. Keep him on, but, you know. But, okay, so we're not seeing those two guys. Any other guys on the defense, particularly we have some contracts coming up, like Honey Badger, who looks like he won't be on the field anyway, and Frank Clark. Are these, if you are Refer Veach, Refer Veach are automatic cuts? Uh, I think in the case of Frank Clark, you have to. I don't think he's ever produced. Well, I know he's never produced to a $100 million level. And even if they can like restructure and renegotiate, I don't think I see enough of him on the side. Uh, you know, he doesn't win one-on-ones enough. He has some good moves, but he can just, what do you say? He's always like a 10 cent move with, you know, a hundred dollar move with a 10 cent finish. 10 cent finish. I mean, he, he seemed to be great in the playoffs, but this year notwithstanding. So I think immediately he's got to go honey badger, man. I, I said in the group chat, it's like, thank you for stopping the hemorrhaging basically single-handedly. That was the 2018 defense. Uh, but at this point, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30 this year in particular. Yeah, I could tell people knew their assignments better when he was out there, but him in particular didn't have the speed. He wasn't tackling like he used to. The fact that he wants to be one of the highest paid safeties in the league at this point, it's like, dude, I'm, I mean, unless you want to play for, you know, very, very team friendly contracts at this point, I just don't see how we can afford to keep a player at his level on this team what are your thoughts on those dudes yeah i'll i'll go backwards with you so it's sad that you're correct that i think this is it for honey badger he knows it too he was choked up it was really hard to listen to his post game because like you know during the when when they talked about the game he's really passionate really fired up and like you know took the blame and then when they started talking about contracts then he started to choke up so he knew at that point he also made an um he also alluded to it on twitter that this was probably his last game in kansas city and it's sad so you know thank you honey badger for being here and um you never lost the game for us right it was never honey badger that lost it but you definitely saw maybe a little bit less of a step or a little bit less of athleticism um no huge plays like we used to see from him so this might be the right time for him to move on at this point uh but it's sad because yeah i i I also have his jersey like you know really great guy when i lived in arizona he was a big deal as well so Mm -hmm. uh gonna be really sad to see him go but i think it's the right move and if i'm brett veach i'm doing that frank clark i'm done with i i apologize for being a frank clark apologist in the beginning of the year uh yeah had some great moments this year, had some great moments, but overall consistently, like you said, there is no reason why we should not be one of the best, if not the best front four. And we were not this year. We had moments for it, but it was never consistent. Uh, I hope uh, kind of segueing into my next point. I hope we pay Melvin Ingram. I think Melvin Ingram showed us, especially in this game. I think he's the one that got the sack. And also prior to the sack, he got really good pressure um, on Melvin, on uh, sorry, Joe Burrow, and he just—he's explosive. Like that's what we need. He's the spark guy that you need. There wasn't any sense of fatigue from Melvin Ingram. There wasn't any. Oh, this dude's getting old. Pay this guy. Pay this guy. Let's get Chris Jones back. Didn't have a great game, like you said. Eleven games, not zero sacks. But we'll talk about the draft later. But look. I'm totally cool. Another year, Chris Jones, Melvin Ingram. Let's put someone else where Frank Clark was. 
let's have a day. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd like to re-sign Melvin Ingram because uh, although, you know, he might not be like prime, prime Melvin Ingram anymore, uh, the whatever we had him for, eight or nine game stretch he had with us was better than any eight or nine game stretch Frank Clark's had in his three years with us. And that's just hopping in mid-season playing for, you know, scrap money. I mean, it's Melvin Ingram really gave his heart and soul ever since, you know, probably the biggest... Uh, Biggest improvement on the line since uh, Chiefs legend Terrell Suggs, T-Sizzle. But anyway, that's kind of... <sighs> Honey Badgers is going to be really difficult. Frank Clark is going to be hard to replace because it's not just easy to find top-end D or top-D-end level talent where we usually draft at. But I think there's some positions on this team at this point that we can't just keep patchworking with Jags practice squad pickups, mid-season pickups. It's like you have to invest some real draft capital in these positions. And we saw how they did it in the offensive line this year. But, you know, for the last two, three years, we've been picking up Tano Passanos. We've been picking up uh, Joshua Kandos, you know, guys that it's like, well, if he pans out, he could be a good contributor. It's like, no, we need someone who is going to be a contributor. And the same thing goes for safety. We picked up Tyron Matthew in a time when the secondary was like an absolute barren wasteland, not just for leadership, but for overall talent. Now we've acquired enough pieces that even as much as we rip on like Hughes and DeAndre Baker, it's like they're not completely incompetent. They're not Orlando Scandrick and whoever else we were like running out there in 2018, 2019. So we just need a safety that's not going to be a complete waste of space out there. That's what we need right now. Yeah, I'm um, I'm going to disagree with you slightly on the cornerbacks. I think that Brett Veach needs to change the way that he sees the cornerback position and stops this first round guy that didn't pan out. So now we're going to give him a chance. Dadger Baker and uh, uh, Hughes and uh, Damon Arnett was a, a nice <laughs> seven day like thing. But Brett Veach has this. A track record of patchwork like you said mm -hmm. yes we have Rashad and yes we have Ward but we got to fill out that secondary with people that we can trust um, and like you said it's safety but also I think we got to fill out a little bit more on that cornerbacks yes we have three good cornerbacks but we got to have a fourth guy doesn't have to be a pro bowler but it can't be this first round reject anymore we really have to invest um, go ahead you know I got a big question for you here uh, uh oh here we go this will be taking away one piece and putting it somewhere else but considering that he played safety in college how would you feel about moving legerious Sneed from corner to that tyron matthew safety position oh he's got more of that eric berry build than tyron matthew does i mean no one's eric do berry I, but do i doubt that he will succeed no do I want to take that risk while Patrick Mahomes is still young though? And while we can still reconstruct his contract, I don't know if I want to do that right now. I see where you're going and I'm sure he'll be fine. I just would hate if we did another Chris Jones um, as an edge rusher and then it doesn't pan out. We got to move him back and then we got to do patchwork again. Uh, we'll talk about the draft later, but a spoiler alert, now that Honey Badger is gone, I think I think that might be the biggest need for me. 
I think safety. If we have a, a stud safety, I'm sorry, but if if teams like the Bengals can find random guys to sack Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship, we could find someone at the end of the first round that can be a stud at safety. There's 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 no excuse. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think uh, just having someone with, again, like a honey badger, high level of intelligence that can be the field general and the secondary is what we need more than anything else. Uh, and, you know, brains are great, but at the same same time, body is half of that equation. And with all respect to Tyron, it's like I think we're starting to get on the back half of his body. Yeah. Um, we can do another draft teaser just because it's relevant. And I'll ask this question to you, Reese. Juju or the draft for wide receiver number two? Uh, you know, honestly, I would take... I would probably say the draft unless Juju wanted to come to us fairly cheap. But again, if we do go to the draft, I need you to get a first round guy or someone who fell to the top of the second round who you know is a first round guy and not take another lottery ticket on a Cornell Powell type. Well, if he's a fifth rounder, but if he turns out, we don't have time anymore to play if they turn out. You know, we've seen what happened over the last two years with a bunch of dudes uh, like littered across this team that are a will if they turn outs. No, we need more second round Creed Humphreys. We need more guys that fell to the six like Trey Smith. We need more guys that we know about that other teams don't like getting Legereus Sneed. You know, so I think Juju's fine. I, I honestly would just trade my kingdom for a big bodied wide receiver too. Someone like a Higgins, someone like a Mike Williams, someone that Pat can throw kind of a jump ball to. Maybe not the prettiest pass. It'd be like, I know I can toss this up. He's yeah, going to be a big. solid 50-50 play, right? He's either going to have more ups than the linebacker on him, or he's going to be able to out jump the five foot ten safety on him. But like we, Pat's never had that since he's been in Kansas City. Even Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins is only six one. I would love to see what Patrick could do with the jump ball wide receiver in addition to having Tyreek Hill gashing guys with routes. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. And if you think about the only the only person that I can remember making a big one-on-one play from Patrick Mahomes is Darrell Williams. Right? Darrell Williams is the only person I can think of that made a huge one-on-one catch. And I, I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure Tyreek made one, but I mean, clearly we can't trust him and we can't trust McCall Hardman in those sense because they're really athletic. But when it comes to one-on-one, not the people that we want up there. Um, I'm really on the Juju train <laughs> and I'm only on the Juju, the Juju Corvette. I'm only on the Juju train. If all the things happen that you just said happen. So number one, I'm only on the Juju train. If Juju's not asking for a lot of money and I think it might work out because he was injured for so much this year. He's no by by far better than Josh Gordon, though. But if we can get a similar Josh Gordon deal for Juju Smith-Schuster, because he wants to be here, he wants a championship. Um, he was injured. His value has gone down. I think that can be a huge game changer because McCole Hardman is now finding this Debo Samuel gadget play type of thing. Um, because boy, Tyreek Kelsey, our our Debo Hardman. Um, Jared McKinnon still catching passes in the backfield and then just adding Juju as that 50 50 guy. Look, we're already good. Even, even though Pat screwed up, Pat still scored 24 points on the Bengals. Like, look, we're, we're, we're talking in the 30, like we're talking 30 burger 
every single game if we have Juju Smith-Schuster. And this can be another flex tape option, right? We don't have to do the crazy Cornell Powell stupid fourth, fifth rounder, but we can take a third rounder that we just got for uh, polls, right? Polls just left, and we can take one of those draft picks we weren't even thinking of, take a third rounder on a guy that could be a potential DK Metcalf, a potential Mike Williams, right? One of these guys, because I believe if I'm not mistaken, this is a very deep wide receiver draft. Mm -hmm. What was that last year? Yeah, this is a wide. Uh, the quarterback suck, but this is going to be a good wide receiver draft. So someone might fall to the top of the third round where we might be with that polls draft or that polls pick. So let's take it. Let's have Juju here for a couple of years and let's see what happens. My only concern with Juju more than anything is, ironically, the Juju he would bring to this locker room. Because right now, I think we both said it this year, that something doesn't seem right with the chemistry on the team and in the locker room. Yeah. We don't don't know if it's in players' personal lives. We don't know if it's dissent. We don't know if it's contract issues going on in the locker room. But the team never seemed to gel. I think if this team could have gelled, then we beat the Bengals and we win the Super Bowl. But... The team had no cohesion this year, and I'm not sure adding a TikTok star with a history like Juju <laughs> is the best thing to throw into that tinderbox right now. I mean, as long as he doesn't have a Damon, Ar da Damon Arnett profile, right, of I'm not going to even go into what happened to Damon Arnett, but as long as it's not that bad, I think someone like a Travis Kelsey, like a Patrick Mahomes can really wind in um, him on offense. The bigger issue for me when it came to locker room stuff was actually the the uh, the uh, defense. This is on Spags as well. It's just like there was such a lack of communication in the secondary, like guys like DeAndre Baker, like Hughes, yes, personalities clash, but like at the same time, there just there was no discipline back there. There was no communication that even when Honey Badger was there, we saw actually we haven't seen the footage yet, but everyone's been talking about Honey Badger getting super upset on the sideline uh, during the Bengals game. I forgot what the situation was in particular, but I think the lack of discipline happens on the defense, and I think with Kelsey, um, with Mahomes there and Hill I mean knock on wood Hill's really uh really changes act having guys like that on the offense I hope would then kind of simmer TikTok juju well maybe we'll find out maybe we won't we'll have to read the tea leaves on that one any last things Reese that are huge in the offseason that we need to address uh I, I would say just the the last one right now I and mean, we'll talk about this more like you said in the offseason and we look towards the draft and all that but uh, what's your forecast for Orlando Brown? Ugh. Didn't play too hot. <sighs> yeah, something we talked about last week, but of course this opens up another can of worms because of his performance with against the Bengals. He seemed to gel after week five. Everything that was happening, he seemed to get used to Patrick Mahomes running around a lot. But then when Patrick Mahomes ran a lot again, uh, Orlando Brown definitely misses assignments. So the question is, can we keep him and not have to pay him a lot. I think that would be ideal. It's just so hard finding a tackle, right? I would rather find a replacement for the Remmers Wiley Niang carousel that we have on the right side than us trying to blow up the Orlando Brown deal. I say we give him another year because this clearly was not the you know, Tampa Bay Bucks collapse of the O-line. This was, you know, a few assignments missed here here and there. I'm willing to give Orlando Brown another chance 
Uh, I'm more concerned, not for Orlando, but more concerned about this Remmers, Wiley, Niang thing. Mostly concerned about Niang, right? Uh, Andy, Andy Reid hyped this dude up all training camp. Then he has the injuries. Is it the injuries? Is it the inexperience? Is it just that he's not translating from TCU to now? That is where I'm concerned. And we'll talk again about the draft. I think that is another huge draft need, uh, that right side. What do you think? Um, I think, yeah, I think that's the answer. They're going to give Orlando Brown the franchise tag and keep him around for one more year. Because again, I don't think he's a guy I want. I know he's not a guy I want to invest big money in long term to say you're our answer at left tackle, especially since right now, like the offensive line isn't a major issue, left tackle included. It's just the fact that we can do better at left tackle and cheaper at left tackle. Right. So I would say give him one more year. See if Niang settles in on the right side. Because you got to remember, rookie year, he opted out because of COVID. This year, it was his first year back after rookie year and after surgery at TCU, his senior year. He couldn't stay healthy. He seemed to be a step slow in not knowing his assignments. So I think they want to give Niang one more year, too, to see what they have on that right tackle side. And then at that point, they might say, okay, so here's the thing. We have a future right tackle, Niang. We got to draft a left tackle. Or best case scenario, they might say, okay, Niang's good enough. We're going to plug him in at left tackle. Let's go to the draft and find ourselves a replacement right tackle. Um, That's kind of the future of the line I see. I think we have more pressing needs in the draft than finding a potential replacement left tackle. And as we saw, Tooney can slide to that left tackle position if in a pinch. So... I wouldn't I wouldn't touch left tackle this draft. Yeah, I mean I know that's a, that that's definitely fair and I just hope like I think the perfect idea for Fancy Sports Media is bringing up or bringing in like uh Andy Reid or bringing in Mitchell Sports and putting some like truth serum in them and just like all right, what's going on with Lucas Niang? What's going on with Orlando Brown? Like tell us the truth because that's that's also another thing. It just Niang just seems really ambiguous. We haven't heard a lot. Same with Orlando Brown. It's just it's a really ambiguous situation and like just just shoot straight with us. Like what yeah. the hell is going on? Can, can can we punt these guys you know of course andy's not gonna say because andy's the like consummate professional he's still saying that it's his fault everything that's happening um he's saying that patrick mahomes you know being sacked and everything is all his fault we're like eh, i don't know about that anyway we'll probably never know the truth reese well and and remmers too you know it's like i i must have missed this what kept remmers and niang out like the entire year i thought wiley was just going to be in for a game or two but right he was right tackle for the rest of the year. That was bizarre to me. Do you know what happened? Wasn't it knee? I think Mike Remmers was knee. I forget what Niang was. I honestly think Niang just got demoted. I think that was the real really? thing. Remmers, though, injury. I think Remmers was an injury. I'm, I'm going to look this up really quick before we go. Uh, yeah, so Remmers was placed on IR in November for his back. Oh, Niang got put on IR as well. Okay. So Niang... Remmers was back. What was Niang? He tore his patella tendon against the Bengals in mm. week 17. Go figure. <laughs> from the grave. Yeah. From so The Bengals are back. And again, I think a patella tendon is not the worst thing in the world. It's not an ACL, but it's one of those things that, like, especially when you're a guard, it's like, yep, you're done. But I must, sure. I missed that, man. I think I remember Me him too. going down, but I thought, again, it was just like a, he tweaked something while he's in for a game or two, but... Well, we'll see what happens with the O-line. We'll see what happens with the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Reese, just to end the podcast, just final thoughts on the Chiefs. I'll start and then you can end it for us. Look, the Kansas City Chiefs, ladies and gentlemen, I said this at the end of last year. It's sad that I have to do it again. But just to say, just to keep some positivity in here, we're still one of the best teams in NFL history. Remember, Tom Brady, it took him 10 years in between Super Bowls to another Super Bowl, and we still call him the GOAT, right? Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to be in the Super Bowl. Okay, he was in it last year, and that's okay. That's okay, Kansas City fans. He made one half of mistakes, and that is all it takes in the NFL, like we talked about, right? It'd be great to have a seven-game series if we could. We we never could do that, though. But, yeah, that, that the, literally the margin of error in the NFL is so infinitesimal. So infinitesimal. Do not... Um, do not think that this team needs to go through a whole rebuild. We are still, we are still the best team. I'm still saying this. We are the best team in the NFL still. I don't care that one half disproves that and that Patrick Mahomes had the worst half of the end of his NFL career. We still have Patrick Mahomes. We still have Travis Kelsey. We still have Tyreek Hill. We still have three amazing young guys on that offensive line. And we have a lot of great young athletic guys on defense we still have Andy Reid. I have trust in him. We didn't say one thing about Andy Reid today, and that's uh, and that's for a reason, right? He didn't, you know. Andy Reid's our guy. Let's let's keep him for as long as we can. So, Kansas City fans, thank you for an amazing season from Hot Take Mondo. Um, you know, from the from the ups like the Chargers game, like the Bills game, some of the best games you'll ever see in your entire life, to the downs like what we just saw today, or the or the other. Bengals game or the Ravens game from the beginning of the year. Um, happy to be here with everyone. Obviously, referees. Uh, and it's not like we're leaving; like we're still going to do a, a oh, yeah. podcast every week. I'm just putting yeah. a button on the season. It's it's just been a really great season. I'm I'm so disappointed about this game. One of the most disappointing games of the Patrick Mahomes era. But I'm still just so thankful for all the amazing memories. Reese, you know the the 2021. 2022 Kansas City Chiefs, I think, will be looked back at as a very weird team. They will be remembered as the team that was three and four. They'll be remembered as the team that went on an eight-game winning streak and was a hair's breadth away from stealing that one seed. I'm with you. I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs hopefully have much to worry about. At least this year, for as up and down, hot and cold, as Jekyll and Hyde as we were, I still stand by, and we saw in the Bills game, that our best is still better than anybody else's best in this league at this time. Now, a lot can change. We're getting older. Some teams that are young are entering their prime. So it might not be this way forever, but I do believe that as long as Patrick Mahomes is there at quarterback, we will have the horses to contend with people. I am hopefully never seeing a Russell Wilson Seattle complete implosion happening, but Patrick Mahomes is a much better quarterback than Russell Wilson. I think everybody that was saying, I think, you know, Pat might not catch Brady seven rings, but I think Pat's going to win four or five Super Bowl championships. I've been saying this for a while. Pump the brakes, guys. I think if Mahomes wins two or three Super Bowl championships, I think we can let what he does speak for the rest of his career. I don't think this is going to be a Bill Russell situation where he's going to put up those Tom Brady, Bill Russell championship numbers. And I mean, when you look at it this way, let's hope Mahomes plays for, let's see, as he's done four years, let's say he does another 11 years. He has a 15-year career in Kansas City. Man, let's say he wins two rings, three, let's say three rings. He wins three rings in 15 years. He's still going to not win a ring 12 years. So 
statistically speaking, guys, we're in a good place. I'm happy to be also. Oh, sorry, Reese. Go ahead. Sorry. Finish. Finish. I was just going to do like a really fun trivia thing. No, just just say I'm happy to be competitive at this point. You know, so long as we don't wind up having a huge division late in his career, a la Aaron Rodgers, you know, I am happy being competitive and believing that every game we go in with number 15 at the helm, we have a puncher's chance of winning. Amen. Amen. And for those of for those of you that say, oh, if Patrick Mahomes never gets to as many Super Bowls as Tom Brady, he's just not good. Reese, name the one quarterback in the NFL right now that has two Super Bowl rings. If Tom Brady is 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 gone, name the one quarterback that has two Super Bowl rings that is currently playing. Oh my gosh. The one quarterback this is these. This is a trick question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is, I think it's, there is I'm, only one quarterback in the NFL when Tom Brady retires that has more than one Super Bowl ring. So it's, it's nobody in the South. Nobody, or sorry, AFC South. It's nobody in the NFC South. It's no one in the NFC West. And it's nobody in the AFC West. I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anybody in the AFC East. And then again, this is uh, this is a trick question. It's not, it is not an obvious answer. Oh, is it is it like a backup who's been like bench yep. riding somewhere? <laughs> yep. Is it is it Chase Daniel? Nope. <laughs> okay, hold on. I can I can do this. <laughs> who's bench ridden? Oh, is it it's Nick Foles? Nope. Really? No, he only has one Super Bowl win. Oh wow. He didn't ride the pine for another Super Bowl team. Okay, I will. I'll give you another hint. It is an active. It is an active starting quarterback right now that has two Super Bowl rings. Oh my gosh! He's he 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 he's not a backup right now, but he won he won a ring as a backup, possibly, possibly multiple rings. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I give up. Who is it? Jimmy Garoppolo has two Super Bowl rings from the Patriots. Does he really? Yep, he was he was Tom Brady's backup when they won two Super Bowls. I thought he was there for like one year before Bill was like, oh, I'll keep him, and then. All that stuff happened where Robert Kraft forced him to ship him out. That's crazy. <laughs> so basically, like everyone listening, it is super hard to win one Super Bowl. It is literally zero percent right now without Tom Brady. There's a zero percent chance that any quarterback in the NFL has two Super Bowl rings as a starting quarterback. No one. So wow. it is the wild, wild west now. Now that now that Tom Brady's gone. So, yes, we we love to compare Patrick Mahomes to Tom Brady, but still, it's really hard to win in this league. We lost in one half. Unfortunately, I hate to say this, but Pat probably would have won his second Super Bowl. So, but we leave it there Kansas City fans with a broken heart, but there is there is light at the end of this tunnel. There is light at the end of this tunnel. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We have so many things to talk about after Chiefs, right? We still have the offseason. We still have a bunch of craft beer stuff. We're gonna we're gonna put a lot of focus on craft craft beer. We still have the Super Bowl. We could talk basketball. If those of you that remember, we did some what if pods as well. Those might return. I mean, so much stuff. Found City Sports Media, even though the Chiefs have left, Found City Sports Media has just begun. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. 
check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.